I first lived in Israel during my junior year abroad in college. I spent two months in the north of Israel, up in Haifa, and then nine months in Jerusalem. And by the end of the year, I knew Jerusalem like the back of my hand. I could wander through the old city. Through the small alleyways, I would climb along the walls on the outer perimeter. I even knew secret stairways that would get me up to the rooftops so I could travel around the city on the rooftops. Jerusalem, it became my playground. I knew the topography of the hills and the valleys, but I didn't know the history or the memory of that land. I didn't get that till my fourth year of rabbinical school, where a professor would walk us through the land that I recognized, but I didn't, I didn't truly know. And I'll never forget the day that our professor took us right outside of Jaffa Gate with the old city to our backs. We went up to this railing, leaning against the railing, looking down into a valley. And it's a valley that I'd been through many times. I'd sat in there, I'd hiked through there. It's a place where there's a concert venue. There was a cinema, which I would go to every single week in this valley. And it was this beautiful park. This valley, it was known as the Valley of Chinom. And in Hebrew, it had been called Gai Ben Chinom. And then eventually it would be known as the Gehenom Valley. And it was that word, Gehenom, or Gehenna, that I knew. I mean, it jumped out at me. There was something, I had a visceral reaction because I'd studied that word. I'd heard it referenced in Jewish texts. I had read Gehenna. Gehenna is the word for hell. Gehenna is Jewish hell, which one may imagine as something which exists below us with devils and pitchforks and fire, just like we were told and we see in the movies. But that's not hell in Judaism. This place was the valley of Gehenna. This place was hell. And it was here that the Canaanites, they would take their children and they would sacrifice them to their god Molech in the Gehenom Valley. It's where the Canaanites would kill their children. And I want to be clear in no uncertain terms that this was the Canaanites did. This is not what the Jews did who sacrificed their children. The Canaanites, they would take their children and sacrifice them, believing that killing their kids would bring them water, protect them from armies, and then appease their gods. As my colleague Rabbi Howie Goldsmith says, he would assume that there were individual Canaanites' parents who didn't feel good about the sacrificing of their children. But their society as a whole they accepted it as a practice, as just it was the cost of doing business. That the sacrifice of a few children, it was worth keeping their god Molech happy. This, this is the place that we call hell in Judaism. The place that you murder children. The place that the Canaanite society allowed the murder of children. That's Gehenna. Now, do I need to stand up here tonight and tell you that Judaism is against killing kids? Do I need to get up here and tell you that Judaism has always been against societies that accept the loss of just a few kids here and there 
is just the cost of doing business. Because I don't think I need to change anyone's mind in here tonight. Because it's obvious to us. It's devastating. What horrifies us in Judaism, it's actually, it's not what happens in the next world, but it's the darkest things that can happen in this world. The things that can happen in Sandy Hook and in Robb Elementary. That is Gehenna. So if you want to know what hell looks like, we are living in the Gehenom Valley. Now, we act like we aren't. We act like we care as a nation. But it's not true, because we don't. We really don't care enough that our kids are being murdered. When my kids were younger, they were taught how to shelter in place at school if a shooter came. And it just wasn't my kids. It was kids across the country. Now, if we truly did care, we would actually do something about it. We would stop making these empty statements and moments of silence, making declarative orders that by lowering the American flag to half-staff for a few days, it's going to somehow soften the blow of something that we have become accustomed to, our kids being murdered in schools. Because that's just the cost of doing business in America. I remember in 1999, when 12 students were murdered in Cullimine, it was the unimaginable. How could teens go on a campus and then kill other teens? But then it happened again, and again, and again. And eventually, we were like a bunch of frogs in a pot of water where we changed our thinking. I mean, it, it's awful. But they're teens, you know, they're almost adults. And these shootings, they're, they're few and they're far between relative to the size of our country. And then we learned to live with the temperature of the water as it increased. And we, as a bunch of frogs, we just sat there. And the murder of our children continued. From the 10 dead at Red Lake, Minnesota in 2005, to the 33 dead at Virginia Tech in 2007, the 27 dead in Newtown, Connecticut in 2012, the five dead in Marysville, Washington in 2015, the 10 dead in Roseville, Oregon in 2015, the 17 dead in Parkland, Florida in 2017, and then 10 dead in Santa Fe, Texas in 2018. And after every single shooting, their protests, the eyes they turn towards Washington asking for answers, Moments of silence are taken. But the only thing that has been consistent for us as a nation is that we do not change our policy to stop the killing of our kids. Because if you live in the Gehenom Valley, this, it's just the cost of doing business. But i got to be honest. Because about a decade ago, when 26 people were killed at Sandy Hook, Small first graders hiding in the bathroom in the corner were shot to death. I remember leaving my meeting with Rabbi Pierce and then taking the long walk through the main sanctuary, dragging my feet, looking up at the stained glass, trying to understand the ununderstandable, and then closing the door to my study, crying, thinking of my own daughter who was five, 
And then foolishly, I thought, this is it. It's going to change our country's ways. Because we must be a country to not want to see first graders shot and murdered. These weren't teens. These were first graders. But again and again, I'm reminded that this is the Gehenna Valley. We may not like seeing our kids being killed, but we as a nation have done nothing to stop it. And now, 19 more are dead. Now, it wasn't the Canaanites who ended child sacrifice, because they didn't know how. It was too ingrained into their culture, into their psyches. It wasn't the Canaanites who stopped it. It was the Jews. You see, moments of silence are inappropriate in Judaism. Because what does a moment of silence change? It does nothing. The only ones allowed to be silent this week are the kids that are no longer alive. I'm sick of silence. I want to hear rage. I want to see tears. If we don't want to see our children murdered, then don't be silent. Now, silence, it's not what ended the Canaanite sacrifice of their children. It was Josiah who smashed the shrines of Molech so that no one would be able to kill children anymore. Now, Josiah was not silent. He smashed the infrastructure built to kill kids. And we knew as a people that it wasn't just about the infrastructure set up in the Gehenom Valley. It was the narrative that society had accepted. So that we decided to smash that narrative too. It's a narrative that you all know. It's a narrative that is repeated every single year in Rosh Hashanah. The story that we tell is not about sacrificing children to Molech, but about testing the patriarch of our tradition with the same test that the Canaanites were given. In Genesis, in the story of the binding of Isaac in the Akedah, the Canaanites, they thought they were commanded to kill their children. So we read that Abraham was put to a test by God to sacrifice his own son. And you know where that story happens? Where he's commanded to sacrifice his own son? It's on the hill right above the Gehenom Valley, on a hill looking straight down into hell. And it's in that same story that Abraham, at the peak of a hill, with his hand ready to strike his own son, that he's yelled by an angel, Stop! It's not what we do. And it's not only not something we do, but if you think for a second that killing a child is accepted and desired by God, you're no longer included in the conversation. Abraham had spent his entire life talking with God, challenging God, until the exact moment when Abraham gets to the edge of sacrificing his own son. God never speaks to him again the rest of his life. Because Abraham does almost the unthinkable. It's an angel that has to stop him because God cannot talk to a person who would even entertain the idea. And then year in and year out, 
we're reminded, don't lay a hand on that child. We are told this story when the Canaanites were in power. We would rail against the people in positions of power when they were doing this, when we had no power at all, never forgetting what we stood for. Now, when the Canaanites, when they murdered their kids in that valley, and the majority of society, they sat idly by, and maybe they were saying behind closed doors that it was awful, that sacrifice of children, it was part of their culture, those quiet conversations, they did not change the Canaanites because this is who they were. It's what they valued. It took a rebuke from a minority that cared so passionately that it was only when you got out from behind the closed doors and changed the narrative that killing kids was not okay. It was only then that things actually changed. We did this because we did not want to live in Gehenna anymore. And the question for all of us is how much longer do we want to live in Gehenna? Now, I, I know where we stand. We're opposed to children being murdered. But our nation does not hold that same value. If our nation did, there would be background checks. I know where my governor stands. I know my governor is opposed to the Gehenom Valley. I know where our congresswoman stands, where our senator stands, where the state legislator stands. And it's not just the blue states that feel this way or a minority who want background checks. In fact, according to the public policy polling survey, 83% of gun owners support expanded background checks on sales of all firearms, including 72% of all NRA members. But I feel powerless because it's to no avail. Because there are other people with more votes, with more power, that don't care enough to stop the murdering of our children in schools. Because for them, it's just the cost of doing business. And we know exactly what to do. Because we've been through this before. We've lived in a land that transformed from the Gehenom Valley to the holiest city in the entire world. In the exact same place, but totally different values. And that metamorphosis, it didn't happen through silence. It happened through rage. You see, silence has never been the answer in Judaism. It's not been to sugarcoat what is hell on earth but instead to name it that, hell. Because that's what we're living through. This week, this month, these decades, this is what Gehenna looks like. And as Jews, we can imagine nothing worse. Because we're not meant to be silent, but to wail, and not to avoid the pain, but to amplify the outrage. Avoiding pain and the brutal, painful facts of reality is not what we do in Judaism. Allowing yourself to be overwhelmed, allowing your tears to well up inside of you, that this is real, this is painful. It's the only way to transform pain and loss and then make it to the other side. It's not to avoid the pain and it's not to avoid the loss, but rather to go straight into the pain. That's what it means in the 126th Psalm when we read, those 
who sow in tears will reap in joy. Those who truly go into the tears, into their pain, and they don't hide it or avoid it, but they let the river of those tears water the ground of the Gehenna Valley that we are living in. Those tears, they make the land become fertile because those tears are the life source of where joy and peace come from. Those tears are the same tears which transform the Gehenna Valley to the city of Jerusalem. And it's our tears, our pain, our outrage, not the blockade to joy and to peace, but they're the actual path that must be used to transform our Gehenna Valley.